Good morning. There was this guy, his name was J.L. Austin, and he was a philosopher of language in the middle of the 20th century. He thought deeply about how language works, and he focused on how how do the words and the things that we say in ordinary ways to one another how does that work? And even though it doesn't seem all that extraordinary today, at the time that he wrote, people who cared about such things, now granted, mostly philosophers of language, um, they all thought that, or many of them thought that he was wrong. This was a time when there was this push by a, a certain school of thought that said that the only things that we can say that have meaning are statements of fact, are things that can be verified. Anything that couldn't be verified, either by direct observation or by the use of formal logic, simply had no meaning. That's one school of thought. And those people would probably look at these parables that Jesus used to teach his friends and anyone who would listen. And they'd look at these parables and they'd say, these are neither true nor false. They're just meaningless. Because they could not be verified. But here's what Austin said, and here's what I love. He said that words don't just describe things. Words and sentences and stories aren't necessarily just statements of fact. Stories actually make things happen in the world, in the listeners, and actually make things happen in the world. And I I, I don't believe that Austin ever commented on Jesus' parables, but I bet if he had... He would have loved them just as much as I love them, which is a lot. When we hear this gospel reading today, what can we make of it? It's a rapid-fire list of descriptions of the kingdom of heaven, a mustard seed growing into a tree, yeast rising, turning flour into bread, a hidden treasure a pearl of great price, a net full of fish. I don't know about you, but when I read this or hear this little little piece read, I'm thinking, Jesus, make up your mind. And also, Jesus, couldn't you be just a little clearer? Couldn't you just tell us what the kingdom really is? Give us something tangible. Give us something verifiable. Give us something to hold on to. I think that's a pretty natural reaction for us to have when we read this piece about the kingdom, especially if what we're looking for is a description, a logical, verifiable description of the kingdom. But that's not how parables work. 
They're not meant to describe as much as they are meant to evoke, to evoke our imaginations. And here's what this mustard seed parable evoked for me. I took a course in ecosystem biology when I was in college, and it fascinated me. I loved it, learning about the web of plants and animals, rocks and soil, rain, air, weather, and how everything in this world fits together and manifests in this living, breathing earth that we are part of. And even though it was a course in science and everything we talk about, talked about had to be verified, for me, it was a religious experience. And then here's what happened one day. The professor took us out on a field trip into this lush, thick rainforest in Oregon. And the professor's leading us down this trail, and he stops. And he looks down at this flowering plant. And I bet he looked at it for at least a minute in silence. And we all very reverently stood around him and looked down at that plant, too. Earnest, young, aspiring ecosystem biologists that we were. And then he looked up at us, these eager students, and asked, what is a weed? Silence. Nobody wanted to look stupid, and nobody knew for sure what he was getting at. And I, in my infinite wisdom and in my boldness, said, it's a plant that grows where it's not supposed to be, where it's wrong or harmful. Wrong, he shouted. Or at least I remember him shouting. And then he said this. He said, a rose in a cornfield is not a weed. And I'm thinking, I grew up in Iowa. And I know pretty, pretty much for a fact that a rose in a cornfield is indeed a weed. But I didn't say that. I didn't say another word. I was mortified because I felt like I was totally out of my league to begin with. And I don't think I said another thing in class for the rest of that semester either. The professor then gave us a 10-minute Lecture, I guess it was a lecture, on weeds. And that has stayed with me for the rest of my life. It has instilled in me a great love and admiration for weeds. He explained that weeds are marvelous opportunists. They produce an abundance of seed. In fact, they produce an extravagance of seed. 
They have extensive root systems and vegetative structures that make them really, really hardy and hard to kill, as most of you probably know, if you've got a garden or a lawn. They grow quickly. They can go through several life cycles in the course of a season. And weeds can help to hold the soil in place, and they can provide habitat for animals, insects. And as Jesus says today, for even birds of the air. Because you see, mustard plants in Jesus' day, and yet today, fit all the characteristics of weeds. In fact, they were and are still considered weeds not only in the scientific terms that my biology professor so joyfully imparted to us that afternoon, but also in the way that I had always thought of weeds. Mustard plants were a nuisance because they were invasive and hard to get rid of, out of place, and of little or no use to farmers. So we were both right. So what this strange description, so what is this strange description of the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed? What it evokes in me is that the kingdom of heaven is like a weed in the very best of senses. For me, the kingdom of heaven shows up where I least expect it, perhaps least want it to. It can show up in a room with others when someone asks a hard question or tells a story, searching for the words to describe their pain and their confusion or to tell us about something that, or someone that they love. When people listen and really listen to one another and, try to, and don't try to root out the problem like a weed and explain it away, but simply to let it be. Kingdom of heaven, for me, shows up when a baby starts crying in church. Kingdom of heaven appears in the town square when I'm surrounded by hundreds of tourists. Any tourists in here today? an invasive species. <laughs> now remember, I love weeds, so I love you all, tourists. Odd and beautiful in their own ways. There's the kingdom of heaven right there. Odd and beautiful in their own ways, doing their best to ring out a little bit of joy out of the two-week vacation that they might have here in Jackson Hole, moving slowly, getting in my way, maybe lost, maybe just taking in the sights of this tourist town that bills itself as the last and the best of the Old West, this town that is my home that I love. Kingdom of Heaven 
sprouts up when I drive by a construction site where another fixed crane has sprung up like a can of the thistle, awful and grand at the same time, 20 workers, mostly immigrants, scampering around like ants, working for a better life for themselves and for their families, building structures that they will never live in. Kingdom of heaven shows up when I bless a wedding or baptize a baby, knowing for sure that no one knows what is coming, least of all me, and yet we hope for the best and do the best we can, and sometimes we even succeed. The kingdom of heaven shows up at a funeral, which I'm going to do one this afternoon, where we water the soil with our tears where the ashes have been spread. It shows up at the reception afterwards where we laugh and eat and comfort one another in the communion of grief and bittersweet joy, knowing and forgetting that to dust we all will return. You see, I like my kingdom a little rough around the edges, hardy, prolific, tough and opportunistic, like the yellow sweet clover that springs up on the side of the road at every road cut that we make through this semi-arid country that we live in. It's a weed, by definition, hardy and persistent, and when it's in full bloom, it's as beautiful as any wildflower. So that's what one of these little kingdom of heaven one-sentence parables evoked in me. And I wonder if one of them speaks to your heart. You have several to choose from. Is it the yeast in the bread that your mother or perhaps you baked? What did that smell like? How did it taste? Is it some hidden treasure you dreamed about as a child? Are you searching for it still? Is it a pearl or a diamond or a rock or a dog or a person that you loved and lost? Are you searching for them still? Maybe it's a fishing trip that you remember or are looking forward to. Did you catch the big one? Do you still hope to? Jesus says in another parable that the kingdom of God is within each and every one of us. And I believe that that is so. I believe that it is blooming like dandelions in your yard, like a rose in a cornfield. That's the kingdom of heaven. Amen.
I'm going to invite Emily and Charlie and Busy and Godparents to come up and join me here around the font. And as um, you guys come up, I, I just want to clarify um, what we're doing around uh, this bowl of water and this pitcher of water this morning. I suppose in some regard, it's like one man's campaign to dismantle poor baptismal theology for centuries, if not millennia. Um, but to clarify the act itself, I think is important. Um, we are not saving busy from um, the, the, the fires of eternal damnation today by an act of putting water and oil on her head. We are simply engaging in a sacrament that harkens back to the very beginning of the story. When God begins to speak about humanity in creation, we know that humanity is made in the image of God. That means busy is made in the image of God, and Emily is, and Charlie is, and I am, and all of you are. And we know that the nature of God is love. And so what we're doing today is we are affirming and confirming that in fact, busy is beloved, beloved of God and beloved of us. Full stop. That's what's happening here today. And then there's another thing that's happening behind the scenes that these guys know that you don't know about. I should tell you that I've done like hundreds of weddings with Emily. <laughs> I've done one wedding with Emily and Charlie. <laughs> um, if you were around for Emily and Charlie's wedding, you would know those hundreds of weddings that I did with Emily, the sun shined down upon us, the wind gently blew, the flowers were, the wildflowers were in the grass that was gently waving. And on Charlie and Emily's wedding day, it poured rain. <laughs> and in this wonderful moment, um, as, as the three of us kind of moved out under the cover of a balcony, there were like tons of white umbrellas that went up and everyone surrounded in for this beautiful moment. And one of the most tender and loving things happened because of Emily's sister in that she put out a jar and she collected the rainwater from their wedding day in order for someday that water to be used at the baptism of their child. Can you believe that? It's such a beautiful and loving act. So today, so at every baptism, we have holy water, right? I'm going to say a blessing over this water in a bit, and that water will be blessed by virtue of the institutional church and all the expectations and powers that it lays upon me. However, today we have especially holy water. <laughs> and as you approach the communion rail, if that's something that you decide to do, if you wanted to put your hand in that water and place it on your forehead or place it on your heart or just rub it into your hands, it's available to do so. Sound good? And we saved some water too, just in case. There's another, another kiddo that might show up. So you all ready? You've got some lines here. <laughs> Who presents this child to receive the sacrament of baptism? We present thee to thee. Holy Spirit, 
Will you be responsible for seeing that this child is brought up as a follower of Jesus' way? Will you, by your prayers and example, help this child grow into a mature relationship with Jesus? Do you reject evil and all the destructive spiritual forces which act against God's love in the world? Do you reject the powers of this world that disrupt and disconnect us from strong, loving relationships? Do you reject all the distractions that draw us away from God's loving presence and creation? Do you turn to Jesus and accept him as your teacher and savior? Do you trust in God's grace and love? Do you promise to listen to and follow God as your creator and partner? And now this is a question for all of us gathered. Will all of us here who witness these promises do all in our power to support Busy in her life and love of Jesus? Let us all say the historic baptismal covenant tying us to tradition supporting Busy and as an affirmation of our own seeking after a relationship and understanding of God. And let's stand together. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Again, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship? in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. I will with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent 